Älskar du den här podden? Stötta den genom IKAs nya supporterfunktion. Det är helt upp till dig hur mycket du vill bidra med och det finns ingen bindningstid. Klicka på länken i poddbeskrivningen för att visa din uppskattning och stötta podden. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How long does it take to get to the store from here? If you jump in a cab, preferably, yeah. I yeah. think. Um, it wouldn't take more than 10-15 minutes. Cool. Okay, no. Welcome to episode 18 of the Husky International series. My name is Magnus Ormestad and this is the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. For new listeners, please check out huskypodcast.com for more info about previous episodes and the all-English Husky International series. Jess Bragg won the Ultra Trail Mont Blanc in 2010. But what I think really makes him stand out was his epic adventure when he ran the entire length of the Te Araroa Trail through the entire length of New Zealand's North and South Islands. Husky is made in cooperation with Lundhogs. Uh, like like in this um, in this part of Sweden in Stockholm, it's super. Like if you introduce yourself, if you meet someone at a party, yeah. Um, Within like 10 seconds, you end up talking about your work, what you do for a living. How come? Um, I don't know. It's I don't know if it's some <laughs> well, kind it's, of I suppose stat, stat, status thing or something. Unless it's a bit of an icebreaker. Yeah, it could be a boring one. I think. Yeah, it is. But quite I mean, boring one. do you do you identify yourself as? I mean, if people ask you that, that they have no idea who you are, who you are, and you haven't met them. Do you sometimes? Well, I'm a runner. Is that kind of a part of your identity? It's definitely a part of my identity. Uh, I think people struggle to comprehend the whole ultra distance thing. That, that's the hardest thing because what I really don't like is the reaction you get, which is the classic reaction. It's like, well, why would you want to do that? You must what, be crazy. Why would you want to run that far? You know, uh, you must be mad. And and straight away, you just, you, you know, you. you you're going to struggle to convince them and bring them out around and, and get them to understand why you truly do it. It's always going to take some time to do that, to swing them around. So uh, so if I know the conversation's going to go down that route, then I'll probably just keep, keep fairly quiet yeah. about the fact that I'm a runner and what I do. And 
And I think a lot of ultra distance runners are like naturally quite modest guys and you know they just do do what they love do what they enjoy and the fact that it's to a lot of people relatively superhuman is irrelevant you know it's it's just your hobby it's just your sport and that's just how I look at it and um, you train your body to be able to do it and uh, be able to withstand the distances and everything you throw at it and and then you just get on and do it and you do race after race you know several a year and what whatever whatever sort of other adventures that come with it uh, so I, I suppose I gauge it when I when I'm first week uh, first kind of like meeting someone for the first time if I think they're going to appreciate it, then I love to talk about it. And if they're enthusiastic, then then we're off. But quite often they're just, yeah. It's easier to go with your with your normal day job. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I'll probably find something else to talk about other than other because than you running. balance you balance your running up with a with kind of a normal job. Like you work hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, I, I have a I understanding come, managers. Yeah, well, I work for myself. I, I run oh, okay, my own business. Okay. In, oh, okay, I, I'm okay. a um, construction project manager, and I do some fairly major projects, high-profile theatre projects in the UK that that I work on, and um, like that would probably wow quite a lot of people as well. But mm. that's that's my other world, and I just flip between the two really, mm. and and try and balance the two. You know, I work whilst I'm travelling, and. Um, train around my my day job and it and it works and it gives me structure it maintains my discipline um, it just keeps me on my toes constantly which I like and, and I need yeah um, you getting into running do you think it was like outside influences or was it like your own ideas and desires that kind of brought you into this world of trail running and, and uh, ultra running I think I think it's just um, like an inner sort of desire to like push myself. I know I push myself in in whatever I do. I don't I don't want to be comfortable really. And so there's that aspect to it. There's the aspect of um, just like exploring who I am and exploring um, everywhere I go. And I, I just love those like epic days out on the hills just on my own like just doing some crazy routes just you and your feet and your, and your rucksack which is which is awesome um I, I think I kind of just fell into the sport really I'm not I don't I don't like sometimes I don't like naturally feel like a runner um I've just found I've just stumbled upon something that I'm good at but you know everyone has to find their way into the, the sport somehow and very few people you know we're doing, I say few, but a, a relatively small proportion were doing like track at school and, you know, then sort of pursued that and then started going up the distances. It, that's actually a relatively small number of people. I mean, there's a lot of ultra runners out there who've got like really, really fascinating backstories. And I love finding that out about people. There's some like amazing stuff from guys who are just, you know, on the verge of overdoing it through drugs or alcoholism or smoking and then actually they find running and and it rains them back and it gets them back into the right place and and it's like almost saved their life and now um, they just devote the same same kind of attention to, to, to running so uh, yeah so it's, it's always interesting to, to find out but was it the um, 
the search for adventure, the yearning for agen- adventures, was that um, a central part of it, of like of your development as a runner? That that's I think that's driving a lot of it. Yeah, and I think it always has done. Like initially, the adventure was just going and running a marathon, and then the adventure, like the next step on from my marathon was like a six-day ultra marathon, 175 miles, and then. And then it was like, okay, well, what can I do next? And, and you look at these races and what they offer, and um, and then long routes. You know, what, how can I test myself like on some long route on a weekend or something? And and it's just step by step. And then I think the the I am naturally competitive, so the competitive instinct was there to 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 want to race and to want to have the adventures as well. So I've kind of it's kind of two strands to it really, and and I've kind of pursued both in parallel. Uh, you know, I like bits about both uh, if I had to choose though I would just be happy like running solo and doing some some crazy stuff like like New Zealand or or some you know FKT or something which is quite but cool. up to some degree you have to sometimes like balance balancing this kind of adventure running and, and racing at some point you have to uh, kind of put the uh, the racing on hold you do, I, I think. But then again, you, you did, have to you did UTMB the same year as you did the uh, New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, but that was leading into it. I mean, I could race leading into New Zealand. I mean, you, you, you're not really training specifically for something like that. Um, but you have to tread really carefully. You know, the, you can always go longer, longer, longer. And, you know, there's a lot of that going on in the sport. But you can't always go faster, faster, faster. And there's a kind of a balance between the two, really. And I, like New Zealand, I probably haven't been quite the same, if I'm completely honest, haven't been quite the same since. I've got back to a pretty good place considering what I put myself through and considering I've, um, you know, been uh, hitting my body pretty hard for the last 12 years and, you know, inevitably it does kind of build up and accumulate. And But I've managed to um, avoid the whole overtraining thing, which is a... It's, it's still a big unknown in the sport, but there's more awareness building. Um, now there's better examples and people putting more information out there about their own experiences. But that's the, that's the danger, you know, you, do, you run too many miles, you do too many big things and, and you overcook it and you really aren't going to be racing for a few years. So, so I think you just need to come up with a little bit of a strategy and I think you can flick between the two, uh, but you need to be smart about it and you know get 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 the timing right really yeah i just allowed quality time for recovery before you start building back up again um when you're out on the uh the longer runs i guess you uh very often end up in like a mental zone does it take a certain distance or a certain time before you reach that zone or is it could you like within five minutes like boom you're there or do you have to uh it usually takes an hour or two in, until you fall into it i think the latter i think it takes an hour or two it's usually actually me like de-stressing after a, like a busy week at work on a saturday morning going out early just to kind of unwind relax and, uh, and after a couple of hours you really just don't care about anything else and you're just into the run and you're just in, in, enjoying the um the route and, and your surroundings. Uh, I, th- I, I mean, I, my body does take a little longer and longer to, to warm up. <laughs> it's bonkers. Like, 
you know, you, you sort of dig six or seven miles and it doesn't really touch the sides. You're not really kind of flowing yet. Uh, so, yeah, but you just got to remember that and you feel has, a bit rusty. So. But has that changed over the years? Have you learned tricks or have you learned how, you, how your mind works and can you kind of work yourself mentally, like to come faster into that zone? I think you learn to manage your mind better. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. Just Just through experience. You just know that that you will work your way through it like relatively quickly. So you just kind of shut it out and you, you just block out any discomfort which you might get through your body like warming up. I think it's, I think it's as simple as that. Really. But, but is, that, is that a part that you're interested in, the mental part of it? The mental part of running and the mental part of uh, de-stressing and... Uh... My wife's a sports psychologist, so... <laughs> so uh, hopefully she's worked me out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I've. I think it's something that's just developed, like naturally, as I've been doing it over the years. I, I, I'm not like a. Um, I'm not like a, avid student of the sport. You know, I don't spend like all my free time reading all the books and pouring over the internet. I just, I just like to go out and do my thing, really. And I've got better stuff to be doing than, um, than all that. Uh, I'm not. I'm not totally obsessed in that sense. Uh, I just. I think I just learned through my own experiences. Mm-hmm. Simple as that, yeah. Um, how long did it take from, from first thought to the first steps of the uh, Te Araroa? Is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, that's how you pronounce it. Te Araroa, the uh, New Zealand adventure, the trail. From when I from first the, came up with the idea yeah, of doing yeah. it. I mean, I've always kind of had my eye on New Zealand like for, probably for the last 10 years or so since I've been doing big distances on foot through remote places which is what I love doing and, and watching the uh, Lord of the Rings movies no <laughs> totally not into Lord of the Rings I, when we were down there like in some of those landscapes and some of the guys with me were like oh, you know what that is and it's like no I'm going to clue and like, that's a, that a really famous landmark river or whatever it is I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I haven't actually sat down and watched the movies. Oh, really? No. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so, so I had my eye on this, um, the, the, the Te Trail, which was under construction. It's been under construction for like 25 years or something. Mm-hmm. A guy called Jeff Chappell was trying to piece it all together. You know, they've got all the tracks running down there, but it's just those final sections to link it all together, like top to bottom in New Zealand. And uh, I, was, I just kept on checking back every every few months, and then suddenly they they announced it was opening, and that, like, I was I was just like, that's it, and you know I'm, I'm all over this. And then I got the email like around a similar time from the North Face saying, uh, you know, inviting expedition proposals. So I was like, okay, <laughs> Jam. But I mean, <laughs> spoke, uh, spoke to my wife. And uh, and about that application process, is it like? Um you you uh how much work do you have to put into that it's like a full-on like a like a, like you would like send an application for like a scholarship or something and then just cross your fingers and hope that conrad anchor is applying <laughs> for something like some crazy expedition that year yeah it's a bit like that <laughs> the, the the other thing is that the runners the runners go and compete in races around the world yeah um as well as doing long run, runs and adventures Whilst the, the, the alpinists and the mountaineers 
those guys live for like expeditions and that's what they do and so they have to secure the funding so uh so you're kind of competing against that and it's like <laughs> really are they gonna really go with me um so there's like a couple of stages to it and i had to uh, basically stand up in front of the whole of the North Face athlete team plus um, which, you know just got guys that have been up Everest 10 times and, you know all this like, I'm going for stuff. a run Alex Arnold <laughs> yeah I want to go to New Zealand I want to do a run <laughs> um, and like the president of the North Face mm-hmm. like uh, worldwide and all those sorts of people and so I had to like pitch it to, to, to everyone um, I got through the first round like the first filter yeah, and then, they, and then they went with it. So it was it, like it's amazing. But yeah, you have to put work into. It. You have to form a budget. You have to uh, demonstrate, uh, or, or, or yeah, demonstrate your research there and how you're going to get, you know, PR and marketing assets back for the North Face. And you know, you've got to play the game at the end of the day. Um, but at the same time, they're just probably the best people in the business in, you know, like backing and helping put together these these great big expeditions so you know you've got um once you're in they'll, they'll put their big arm around you and take you through the process which is amazing but isn't that kind of a fun part like the planning part like uh browsing through like what kind of gear that you want and food yeah. and everything it's kind of fun isn't it yeah oh definitely there's, there's no chore about it i mean it's like <laughs> it's, it's just bidding to like go and live your dream basically isn't yeah. it you know I, I saw it as a complete one-off. Uh, now I want to do it again. <laughs> I was, that, that, that was how I convinced my wife, anyway. <laughs> uh, and when you planned it, how did you uh, uh, like? Did you set up any rules for yourself or any rules for the uh, for the project? Like, I'm not allowed to do this and that, and I must, you know, every day I must run this and this distance. But yeah, like how I mean, did you? Because I guess you break it down like into a very you're creating your own objectives yeah for, for you know you're setting the bar at whatever height you want to no um so at the time I, I i started the detail planning no one had run it and then like and then a guy was like on the trail and running it and trying to set a time for it and he, and he did i don't know it was like just over 60 days or something um but i had reservations about his approach as well uh, i just wanted to do it all under human power like literally run the running sections, paddle the, 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 the water crossings, um, which are official part of the trail. And then and then there was the Cook Strait between the two islands, which is not an official part of the trail. You're supposed to go on the boat. And I was like, well, that'd be really nice if I could try and kayak between the two islands and just bring it all together, which was pure fantasy, really. Um, I, I couldn't even bring myself to tell people about it because they would have just laughed and said <laughs> you've never been to the cook straight have you <laughs> it's quite choppy um, and and I, I was trying to do it in under 50 days just because it was a round number really I was like well, it's about <laughs> it's about 2,000 miles so okay 50 days it's 40 miles a day I think I can do that without really knowing what the trails are going to be like and and, and how it was going to be. I mean, you're just going off the, the paper maps. But the, 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 I didn't plan like day by day where I was going to end up because you just tie yourself in knots. So I would just plan the night before and that was, it was just a rolling thing. It's like, right, um, tomorrow I'm going to run to there because, you know, that's where there's a hut to camp in. 
that's what they. Um, so how long did it take? Like, like from that meeting the president of the North Face until like it was tying less your than twelve months. Uh, mm. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it was like ten ten months or something from getting sign off to actually starting. What season did you want to do it in? Like, uh, well, I was the summer. Yeah, yeah. so I started twelfth of December two thousand twelve, mm. and it was yeah, it was fifty three days. Um, but it it was also over the Christmas period Christmas and New Year period of work so less impact in terms of holiday business and I had to speak to all my clients and try and get them on I'm, board I'm to doing this it. thing yeah I'm doing a bit of a run I'll come back fresh as a daisy don't, don't worry about it <laughs> uh, but no they're really they're really really supportive and you know I was telling them ages in advance and mm-hmm. there was no problem in that sense um, and the logistics part, because you had a kind of a backup team, like, like a logistics team with your yeah. friends and family. Yeah, so my my best mate and my father-in-law uh, were in a support van. I soon worked out that um, to, to actually li- genuinely run it and not just hike it, that um, I would have to have a van to carry like my kit and stuff. Uh, and so, like, the aim was, well, where I could run just a day, like, just with a, a lightweight day pack, then that would be the ideal. But quite often I would be going into these, like, big wilderness sections uh, through the bush, and and then I would take off with, like, a fast pack, and it'd be, like, three days and, like, 120K or something. Uh, and then I'd have a tent and... You know, and then you're really out there on your own, doing all the um, river crossings and moving between all the huts and or camping and just trying to stay safe but keep moving basically. How many? Because you usually uh, spend the night in the camper van, but you did many many nights in the tent as well. Yeah, I probably did like maybe thirty nights in the camper van, and then mm. like the rest of them up to fifty three, uh, and. Uh, under canvas or, or, or in a hut. But the other thing was like, how often do road crossing points in New Zealand correspond with like the maximum distance you can do in a day? Like if I got back to the camper van at 5 p.m., like I wouldn't want to stay there. I would want to keep going until 9 p.m. And so I would take off with the tent and just do like, mm-hmm. get another four hours in and then crash and then maybe like run through to breakfast um, with an early start get to the van and then you're off again do you know what I mean it was a bit like that but then you, it seems like you had to feel kind of a certain amount of stress maybe not stress but like like working it on the clock you couldn't really uh, relax and just you know take it day by day you had to uh, in order to reach your goal did you uh, did you see that fifth day like uh, sign in front of you did you uh, I was pretty obsessive about that as is my way, really. Was it a necessary thing to keep going? Yeah, I think like I think what I do is I set these probably slightly ambitious objectives, and those objectives like draw me through. Whether it's a training run, like okay, I reckon I can do that route in like so many hours, and then you know, and then maybe you miss it by ten percent or something, and that's generally how it works for me. Uh, so that's probably part of my my psychology, really. Um, I mean, there was 
why did I set a 50 day target? I, I kind of saw it as a once in a lifetime opportunity just to go and like really go at this trail and see what I could truly achieve and just put all these skills and fitness to the test that I built up over years and years. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to just go and, you know, stroll it and take loads of photos and like for me the experience is through just pushing yourself through that terrain and I can't quite explain why but that that's what makes me tick just seeing what I can really achieve and uh, and then you can sort of sit back and look at the map and say yeah that, that, you know that's what I did in, in that time and I suppose that's just the drive which runs through whether it's my racing or my uh, like solo adventure stuff. Uh, how technical did it get like when it comes to uh, <laughs> because there's some alpine uh, parts as well like did you do like yeah. was it like scrambling and uh, exposed stuff or it's just it's just really intense uh, the, the, there were little little sections of scrambling and um, you know a lot of scree the, the biggest issue was just it's just it's just raw terrain basically I mean it's not ridiculously high altitude or anything like that but there's just like dense forest the majority of the way it's really muddy in places it's hard to follow the way markers in a lot of places like down the south island um there are sections where it's just like just totally overgrown not even forest but just sort of savannery like tussocks and you know you're just going at like one mile an hour and it's such a grind and so just really really varied in that sense and like you know like the opposite end of the scale to some like buff trail that you might get in the US or something like that I mean in the UK we're quite used to I'm going to get torn apart for that by the US listeners but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the UK we're like we, we get a bit of both really I mean there's a lot of kind of rough rough running in the UK but there's also some quite nice trails as well so so I could handle it in that sense um I can't remember where the question started, to be honest. But. No, me neither. <laughs> Just go with the flow. <laughs> no, about how technical it could it could become. It like I got to the end, and I decided that it was more of an adventure trail than a running trail. You needed these, like, you needed like mountain craft skills to to stay safe, like with the weather as well. I mean, there's all these things going on, river crossings, and what kind of temperatures did you experience, like? heat-wise and, and, and cold? From, well, it was snowing some days in the South Island, so, like, probably three or four degrees uh, through to, like, low 30s Celsius. Like, just a massive mm -hmm. spectrum, really. The New Zealand weather's mad as well, because you'd be, like, say you'd be, like, we were kayaking into the Queen Charlotte Sound and at the end of, like, the, the crossing, and nearly there and we're like yeah this is awesome and then suddenly um you look into the distance and you'd see like the chop getting up and you'd see it's like slightly hazy and it would it would just be like the wind just turning on like that it, like someone's just turned on a fan or something and like nowhere else in the world i've experienced that usually like the wind will just build up gradually and then you'll know it's there but it would just turn on instantly like everything's on drugs in New Zealand it's, it's bonkers like the, the, the scenery is definitely on drugs and it's just everything is like almost not quite real <laughs> but did you have any uh, I don't know how to explain but like did you have any like strong experiences like being out on your own in these environments did you have a 
uh, when I was really getting pushed. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like I'm thinking more like uh, uh, being exposed to this kind of nature and, and doing this in, on your own, like a runner's high times 10. Yeah, I mean, I think like after day one, I was like quite raw. You know, you know when you sort of um, talk about like when you're sort of stripping away all the freshness and you just kind of expose all that emotion inside. I mean, you, I was like that, like after day one, basically, because you just you're tired, you're always tired, and so your emotions are like naturally there. And um, I suppose like my mind was just drawing me through. Um, like I'm a big believer in that where your mind leads, your body follows. And I was just in this little bubble. I think I was like protected by this little um, mental bubble which was around me. And I was just so determined to just to achieve what I, I was set out to. Um, it was almost, that that sort of bubble or shell was was protecting me really and even like the elements when it was I don't know like pissing down with rain all day and windy and cold and probably not got quite enough clothes to sort of really be safely warm and but actually you just keep going and you, you'll you'll get through the day and then it will be sunny tomorrow and you know it's that kind of um, roller coaster that you're you're, you're on um, Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. With, with emotions and mental um, Did you, because... You said you, you said you you spent most nights in the camper van, did you? Uh, because I I'm guessing that there you had the, uh, the opportunity and the chance to kind of I don't know get online and so on. Was that tough? Like, did you do it? Like, yeah, you know, check the the web pages for the news and everything. Or did you kind of try to you had to kind of disconnect from everything in order to keep going? I was definitely disconnected because I just didn't have time. Like it 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 was ridiculous. I I mean. I'd say on average I got back at like nine o'clock at night and you want to get washed, you want to have a decent meal, you want to just get warm and dry and comfortable just for a moment and 
and then I was like writing my blog which I wrote obsessively um, just because I wanted to share the story like share the story of the journey that I was going on with everyone back home and, and just like try and inspire people I felt incredibly fortunate to be doing what I was doing you know be fit and able to just to run all day so if I could inspire a few people to have a go back wherever it was then that would be a bonus so I felt I, I felt an obligation almost to to do that I wasn't like the North Face saying you've got to write a blog every day that was me wanting to document it and write it as a bit of a diary um, but yeah like I certainly wouldn't be checking out the BBC website or anything like that would I mean someone in the van would be like checking the weather and then I'd just be straight onto the maps it's like right okay what what's happening tomorrow and and then once everything like the aspect all the essentials were ticked off for that night it was then like just try and get some sleep and and then you're up at like half four or five and and just going into it all over again um but I mean I did I had my iPhone with me and um I would send like random tweets and mm -hmm. go on Facebook occasionally when there was signal um, so it wasn't like I was just shutting out the world for 53 days um, but yeah I wasn't really interested like what the politics going on at home were or <laughs> <laughs> any of that crap <laughs> uh, did you ever have doubts that you would not wouldn't be wouldn't be able to uh, pull through because you had kind of a you got a you caught a bug and you yeah. spent a couple of days like literally like knocked down. I think what it was like midway through the South Island, so maybe like two thousand four hundred k's into the three thousand, and I think I was redlining it so much in terms of what I was putting myself through um, and like the limited sleep and recovery I was getting that. I think it just that caught up with me and then I was I was drinking stream water and you know just you don't care you just like it's like water okay drink it you become an animal you, you do <laughs> yeah yeah um, and it's yeah I suppose it's a little bit kind of like survival instincts and yeah I must have just well I did just pick up a bug and but it absolutely nailed me absolutely nailed me and then I, so I was like laid up for three days and not going anywhere just trying to repair myself like enough to start moving again but I mean we all know like how you feel when you have like a sickness and like diarrhea bug like it, it takes like almost weeks to kind of repair your insides and just get your energy levels back <laughs> and then like the, so the thought of trying to like run a 60k day was just <laughs> like impossible to, to comprehend really uh, so like yeah it was just a massive unknown we, we didn't know whether I'd get back on track and, and I was on this silly schedule so like I'd aimed for 50 days for the expedition but then I'd like booked my return flight like on day 52 you know because I, I was like I'll get back home I'm going to get back to work and just get my life and so th that's another sort of classic foolish thing I do and so, so I, I was just like, oh, I need to get this thing done. And, but I, I just feared like um, letting it all go. I, I'd had such a great run down the North Island. I'd crossed the Cook Strait and it had all been going so well. And it just, it can just flip so suddenly. And I just, I was just so fearful of all that going to waste really. Um, did you know that, did you know um, 
or, or, or how did you know that your body was prepared to do this? Like before you started? I don't think it was. Like I'm fit, I'm always fit. I can always go out and run a day. But I think you train yourself into it. And you need to start, you know, probably with, you need to start a little bit overweight and like just strong basically. I don't, I don't think you can really train for something like it. You know, I wasn't going out and running like back to back 60K days because it, it's not really going to help. I know I can do it and I know I've got a strong mind and I know how I can go about doing it. So it was a case of just like finding my way into the expedition and you just hit this routine. It's like when you do a stage race for like a week, you know, days one and two are pretty hard. You get up on day morning of day two and you're just like, what am I doing? You know, how am I gonna do another five of these? And actually like by days three and four, your body's getting used to the routine and the recovery process and you start to get into it and you get to the end and it's like, well, I could probably keep going a bit. And it, it's just exactly the same thing, just on a slightly bigger scale. Have you had a, a different view of your own body after this adventure? Yeah, I mean, it, the human body can More go grateful. through and uh, yeah you can go through an awful lot and repair itself pretty pretty amazingly well i suppose it's just whether you're willing to put yourself through that um how did it feel the first time you uh propelled yourself in a vehicle <laughs> like a car or something after spending like 53 days oh like only human powered I was in a really difficult place after the expedition, I think. Je Gemma, we were talking about it this last weekend, actually. She was just like, you, I don't know who you were, but you weren't Jez. And I think she was a bit worried. We'd only got married like three months before. And I was, I put myself through that. And it's inevitably, it's going to take quite a while to get yourself back. And I think just the physical fatigue, the mental fatigue, trying to get back to some kind of normality really because it was on the opposite end of the scale for 53 days but at the same time I think I was kind of I'd done it and um, I'd had the most incredible experience so I think in the same sense I was kind of ready to just go back to work and try and get some kind of normality going again. I, I, I like the contrast, do you know what I mean? Mm. I like going into London, hitting some big meetings, getting a bit stressed out by stuff, and then like that evening be out on the trails, like in, in the countryside in the UK, and just like letting off all that steam. I, it's great, I, lo I do love that. Uh, and yeah, I suppose it's just, again, it's just a bit like that really. Mm. Uh, but it, did it take time, like, um what was the uh, the toughest part because i interviewed a, a swedish woman who, who ran the entire mountain uh, range and she she described this feeling like first time getting in a in a car uh, after like completing that and she was like this is too fast like we're moving <laughs> too fast this is you didn't have any uh experiences like that no, I think I was just I, I was just ready to. I mean, of course, it feels odd because you like you've been on two feet for like fifty three days or, or or on a kayak, but uh, it was part of my journey back to normality. I think so. I suppose I was like mentally ready to do that. Mm -hmm. I had been looking forward to it. I guess. Yeah. Both yes and no. Yes and no. I'd say probably more no. 
because uh, you, know, you, you don't want it to end really yeah kind of a tough call yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, you have won the, uh, the Ultra Trail Mont Blanc um, what kind of race is that for you UTMB what, what, what is it to you Oh, I think it's the best. Um, I mean, it, there's something really unique about UTMB. I mean, they've it just ticks so many different boxes. Like every time you do it, I mean, I've done it, I don't know, like seven times or something, and I've been around the route at least as many times in training. And every time, it just puts you through the mixer, and it just spits you out the other side, and you never quite know whether that's going to be like still on two feet or whether you're just like smashed out of the side of the trail I mean it just it does it just chews up so many like top runners so just to get around it is is just the most almighty challenge and experience um, so my first experience of UTMB was 2005 which I think was like the third year or the second or third year of the race and I, I went from like just training in the flatlands of like the Midlands in the UK to like stood there in Chamonix <laughs> just looking up at all these towering peaks just totally like mesmerised by the scale of the mountains and just the scale of the undertaking as well and, and then and then the whole race so like you know starting in Chamonix this epic 100 mile route around Mont Blanc you know Western Europe's highest mountain over all these passes through all these like alpine villages and towns and all the um, excitement and enthusiasm and passion that you get in the Alps just from from all these alpine people um, and all the culture as well like France Italy Switzerland back into France I mean it's just an absolute classic really and you can see why it has turned into you know the the big one in terms of scale and um, competitiveness and um, and just and, and difficulty as well. So it just it just draws me in every time I've chucked my hat in the ring for this year as well. Because once once you're on the winners list, you can then go back any year you like. Oh, okay, okay. I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or not. Really, it's hard to say no. Then it is, it's hard to say no. Yeah, because if you're in like. 50-50 and then you get the email saying oh would you like to run UTMB this year I usually just click yes yeah, so, <laughs> and that's it you're in um, but it, it's the trouble is it's like the end of August and you're like you spend the whole summer like training 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 really focused on it and and you do the race and then and then like the summer's over <laughs> so yeah. you, you, you kind of missed your summer holiday and your chance to relax and stuff so uh, it doesn't always go down with Wives and partners too well. <laughs> um, what elements attracts you attracts you in a in a race or attracts you to a race? Because you're also keen to uh, of the uh, western western states. Western states, yeah. I want to be racing against the best guys in the world. You know, I once I'd kind of won a decent number of races in the UK. I wanted to go and. Like race internationally against you know the best fields um, the highest profile races um, and so that that's why I've sort of picked out UTMB and Western States as I mean for several years I was just I was doing both and 
you know there's such hard races to perfect as well you, you know so many different approaches and variables to like your training and nutrition and your preparation and it's they're really they're really hard to absolutely nail so yeah so like I mean I I've had performances from like first through to like 20th and, and further down in UTMB and then like Western States I've had a third a fourth and then like I don't know a couple of other top 20s uh, which are all great performances but like such fine margins between you know finishing seventh eighth or first second and hitting the podium um, and so again it's just my competitive instinct which just makes me sign up year after year and just see whether I can go better basically um, looking back at the um, like the races that you've done and the races that you've won and the New Zealand adventure what how would you describe your what I would call the reactor like the like your core that keeps you going how would you describe that part what is it made of I think it's made of stubbornness a lot of stubbornness uh, I mean determination is too obvious really I think I'm just a bit of a man on a mission really and I think I have been since since my early 20s and you've got to be you've got to be you've got to be obsessive about it and quite extreme about it and just willing to endure really but you have to go through that to get those experiences those you know those some some of the not 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 the um, ex well experiences of seeing some amazing places but the highs and the lows emotionally that you go through in one of these races from like I don't know struggling to keep moving in the early hours on, on UTMB to like getting to Chamonix first and just the most amazing reception and um celebrations from the crowd and you know and and, and so yeah you have you I suppose you have to sacrifice to be able to uh, experience those um, different moments and and that's what you get back and it's almost hard to uh, impossible to explain to people like truly what you go through in a hundred mile race it I always think it, it would just be great to try and capture it just better than like a little documentary or something there's, there's so much more to it than those little snippets that you see in these in these films online there's, there's so many more moments and but 24 hours running in the mountains is a long time and in the wilderness location but I guess the the nature is an, a factor as well I mean you wouldn't go running a hundred miles through a like a, a greyish urban landscape not interested no. so no. that part is uh, that is interesting like a an element that attracts you I guess. yeah I, I love beautiful places I love I love the wilderness I love spending time up in Scotland and I'll just go off for a couple of days and just climb a load of hills, just camp and, you know, like do, do some pretty epic routes, which, um, 
which you wouldn't recommend to most people <laughs> but you just rely on your own personal ability and experience uh, just kind of keep yourself safe really and yeah you try not to worry friends and family too much by going into the detail <laughs> um, what do you see in the future for because the last I don't know five to ten years has been a like uh, trail running has been peaking and now like ultra has been peaking what do you see in the future when it comes to to those kind of endurance sports I mean it's I've kind of seen the, the development of the sport from you know the days when Scott Jurek was winning western states like I don't know seven times on the trot or whatever he did just dominating and but there was kind of this relatively lack of depth in competition to to these days where you know like hours have been knocked off the the course records and performances are just like on a completely different level it's evolving so quickly it's hard to know really where it is going to go i, the, I suppose the thing that really that, that, that does genuinely worry me is just overtraining syndrome and, and people putting themselves in really dark places through through just pushing it too much and I'm I, I, I'm just pleased to have had a I'm not finished yet but a, a great career which um, I've been able to compete like literally every year and I haven't had any um, difficult spells really um, But I mean, inevitably, we're going to see more races getting uh, television coverage. You know, there is going to be more prize money. There's going to be more guys making a living from it. I think we're probably like 10 years behind triathlon. And, you know, I can really see the sport moving in that direction. Uh, but I, there's always a constraint, isn't there? Uh, the, the limitation is the logistics of, you know, the best races like UTMB are in proper proper remote remote places and there's probably relatively few people who are interested in watching someone run around the circles for 24 hours <laughs> just strap a camera on him and have a live feed yeah exactly <laughs> exactly so I, i i think it's just going to continue evolving at a at a rapid pace pace i think we're going to get a lot more more and more races springing up all over the place uh i mean it's It's going to it's going to be super exciting to follow. Really, uh, I almost wish I'd started like 10 years later, uh, but yeah, here we are. <laughs> here we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you see in in your future? Do you have any uh, plans that you can share? Or so I think I'm going to be heading more towards the one-off adventure um, route uh, as opposed to racing. I, I mean, it, I'm finding it harder and harder to get the necessary fitness and sharpness to be able to like really compete with the top guys, if I'm brutally honest. And it, you know, like it takes longer to prepare, long, longer to recover, and the whole cycle is a lot more drawn out. But I, I, I know the experience and the uh, long-term endurance that I've built up over yeah like 12 years put me in a pretty good place to and I'm still relatively young put me in a pretty good place to have a go at some 
challenges. Uh, there's, there's, there's a few up in Scotland which I've got my eye on. Uh, I don't know whether I'll do something quite on the scale of New Zealand, but you can still pack a pretty impressive adventure into like a week or 10 days. And just like just these long trails, you know, around the place doesn't necessarily have to be ridiculously high profile, but, um, and also in the UK, we've got these rounds, like there's the Ramsey round in Scotland, the Bob Graham in the Lake District, which is a lot, a lot better known. And there's one in Wales as well, North Wales. So they're like classic British, um, we call it peak bagging, but it's just a series of like um, summits, hills between like, usually between two and a half, three thousand feet, which you link together and try and complete the route in under 24 hours. So I've done the Ramsey and I'll probably have a go at the Bogram and the Paddy Buckley, the, the, the Wales and English versions. And, and then there's like records for like cumulative time. And, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things just to kind of keep you, occupied. Keep, keep you on your toes. Yeah. And, and, and have a bit of a go at so yeah, but yeah, this year I'm doing Lavaredo uh, in the Dolomites from Cortina, which is in three weeks' time, and then I'm doing UTMB again. <laughs> no surprises there. Uh, thank you so much for taking your time. That's all right. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for questions. Follow Husky on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just search for Husky Podcast. Husky is produced by Husky Productions and made in cooperation with Lund Hawks. The music is made by Joel Mull. two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.